Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. And today Jason is in part three in his series of the book of Acts in a sermon he's entitled, The Replacement. Turn in your Bibles to Acts 1, and today Jason's looking at verses 12 through 14. Here's Jason. You can turn with me to, to the book of Acts. And we are going to continue on through the book of Acts. And really what we're going to be looking at is two aspects of of our lives as believers, prayer and, and, and fellowship. And I thought I would start off by asking you all a question and, and and that question is, is, have you ever been placed into a position where all you can do is pray? That for whatever reason, things are kind of taken out of your control and your only option is to pray. Maybe you're on an operating table. Man, who knows? But the Lord causes a situation to, to come up that all you can do is... is is pray. Everything else is, is kind of removed out of your hands. This was the case for for us early on in our ministry in Papua New Guinea. I'd finished basically four years of, of language study and culture study, and, and, and we were now getting ready to, to start our teaching, our evangelistic Bible lessons, and, and we were going to the village, and we were telling our people every morning, hey, it's two months until we begin teaching. And actually, we started off with days, so many days, and, and they're kind of, they don't have watches, and they're kind of clueless about calendars and this and that. So we thought of a way to, to um, like kind of give them beads for this is how many days we have until we're going to begin teaching you. And, and we were doing that, and we got up to two weeks before the time where we were going to begin teaching. And a crazy thing happened. We, we actually had a murder in our village. Uh, a man was given another woman from, a, from a, a different location, another village. And this young woman who was about 18 years old didn't want this, this guy, so she ran away and went back to her village. He went to get her and, and they shot and, and murdered him with arrows. We heard about this. I heard that there was some commotion going on in the village that they were, the men were, were getting all riled up to go up and do something. And you have to understand that in Papua New Guinea where we serve, there is this payback system that, that's ingrained. And when somebody does something like kill somebody from your village, the reciprocal action is you go and you kill them. Somebody. And so we, I, we ran up to the top of the airstrip to hold off the guys because we had heard there was a whole slew of, of 25 men that were going to go do some payback. And, and we stopped them on the road and they were all done up in, in brown mud. 
they had man arrows. They, they were serious. They, they had black on them too, ash and, and this and that. This was not something that they had done for years and years and years. But they were committed to doing this. And we said, no, stop, you guys. Listen, if you do this and you start this process, it, it doesn't end. And my family will not be safe here. And our mission will not allow us to stay here. And we will have to leave. And, and, and we're so close to beginning telling you about God's word. Don't, don't do this. Don't block this road. And, and, and they didn't listen to us. And they, and they took off. And we had to have our, our families leave. My coworker and I, Tom, we, we actually stayed to see exactly how things were going to pan out and if things were going to get crazy or not. And, and I say all of that to say that there was nothing we could do except for pray. Pray that the Lord would keep things from escalating to the point to where we would have to leave and who knows how long we would have had to have left. And so we just prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And, and God in His grace allowed the village to be empty when all those men got there. And instead of hurting anybody, they just lit all the buildings on fire except for where this man's body was kept after they murdered him. They came back and... and I think my family was gone for maybe three weeks and then we brought them back. And one of the neatest things that happened as a result of that is every morning before we began teaching, we'd spend at least 30 minutes in prayer. Every morning for nine months. And what we're going to see today is we're going to see a a, a gathering of, of people the Lord's people. And we're going to see just how important their fellowship and their prayer was. So if you don't have your Bibles open, turn turn with me now to Acts chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at verses 12 to 14. So follow along with me as I read out loud. Acts chapter 1, 12 to 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. For those of you who have, who have been praying that, that I would do a PowerPoint presentation, today is the answer to your prayers. For those of you who have been praying that I wouldn't do a PowerPoint presentation, you might want to keep praying and, and pray that this goes so south that I decided to do this again. Um, but I, I decided maybe this would be helpful. And so I'm trying this out with a little bit of fear and trepidation. So you'll notice that in your, in your bulletin, we, we once again have a, a fill in the blanks, and this is kind of where we're going um, in the, the rest of chapter 1 of Acts. And what, what it says is in this final section of Acts, chapter 1, Christ finishes the needed what? The, the needed preparation for the coming of the Holy Spirit 
and the establishment of His church. In this final section of Acts, chapter 1, Christ finishes the need of preparation for the coming of the Holy Spirit and the establishment of His church. You'll also notice in your notes that um, <laughs> I have four, four points to my outline. And um, you'll notice that last point, the plan, we're not even going to get to that today. Again, in trying to juggle this um, whole idea of me coming up with my sermon by Thursday, uh, oftentimes I... I yeah, I need a, a little bit more time <laughs> to figure out exactly how much time I'm going to need. And I had 18 pages of notes. And rather than preaching for you guys three hours this morning, um, I decided you guys would be much more blessed if, if, if I broke it down a little bit. So we're just going to look at the first three points. The place, the players, and the purpose. So what we're going to see first is in, in verse 12. Let's look at that. The place. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. So what we see first here is, is Jerusalem. That this is where the disciples head. That this is part of their obedience, right? Do you, do you remember what we learned last week? What, what did Jesus tell them? He said, stay in Jerusalem. And at first glance, when you think about this, well, this seems pretty easy. You just do what Jesus told you to do. But I don't think it takes too much of our imagination to look back a little bit and we'd see, you know what, I don't know exactly how easy this really was for the disciples because over and over and over again, they actually didn't do what Jesus told them to do, Right? I would think it would have been very natural for them to actually run away because that's that's what happens. At, at, at his moment of need, they, they run and they scatter after crucifixion. Not only do they run and, and scatter and go back, but they a lot of them actually go back to their previous jobs, right? And, and so I think that, that it would have been just as easy for for these guys to go back to being fishermen or perhaps go back as Matthew was to, to be a tax collector. But, but they don't do that. They, they could have been more spiritually minded and they could have just decided to tell people about Jesus right there and then. Because they already knew the message. Jesus had given them the message. They were eyewitnesses of Him. And, and, and so to a certain extent, you think, well, well that could have happened as well, but, but you don't see them doing that. Instead, you, you, you see them walking in obedience and, and something that I would call simple obedience, which is obedience that sometimes doesn't make sense. Because did they know what was going to happen? Did they know what this baptism of the Holy Spirit was and what it looked like? No. And when walking in obedience makes sense and it follows good logic, oftentimes, I guess I don't really look at it so much as a question of faith as this is just the best thing to do and this makes sense, right? And so our, our faith isn't so much stretched as this just makes sense, it's logical, so let's go this direction. And at times, I, 
I believe the, the Lord calls us to do things that don't make sense and to trust Him in faith and to walk on in obedience. Notice also, too, that we're privy to something that, that we didn't know before. And that is, where did the ascension take place? Then they returned to Jerusalem for the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. This is known as the Mount of Olives, and, and, and you can see the picture there. And it was a very well-known mount, and, and people debate on whether you actually should call this a mountain or just a little hill. But the point is, is that it's close to Jerusalem. And so it wouldn't take much effort for them to get there. And that that was where Jesus ascended. And this whole idea of them walking this, this journey that didn't go against the Sabbath, well, this goes back way into the Old Testament, to the time of Moses, and the encampments in the wilderness. And, and do you remember how they had tents set up? And they lived in tents and they had encampments and they had the, the what? They had the tabernacle right where? In the center. And so the idea here is that, that some of the tents got further and further and further out north, east, south, west from, from where the tabernacle was. And the furthest tent away they must have measured that distance. And what they figured was it's just a little bit over half a mile. I think the word uses 2,000 cubits, which is basically 3,000 feet, which comes out to about a half a mile. And so you could walk that distance and they would say that you're still keeping the Sabbath. And these things would have been important you know, to Jewish audiences. To you and I, we're like, what? All it means is it's just about a half a mile. But look at what verse 13 goes on to say. We're not just told about the city. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. The upper room. There's lots of different ideas on what this upper room is. And everybody agrees on the fact that an upper room is just that. It was an upper room where you would have people come and, and you'd, if visitors came to, to your house, that's where they would stay and that's where they would do lots of their eating and, and having meals and, and this and that. But, but I think there's more to it with this. Because if we think back, it, it was in an upper room where they had the Last Supper. It was a place of what? Of rich fellowship for them. Just as we just enjoyed rich fellowship, partaking in communion with one another, remembering our Lord, these guys would recognize that this, this upper room was a, a place for them to gather with one another. And as, as we looked at last week, with the last chapter of Luke, do you remember when, the, when they got the two guys on the road to Emmaus come back, they go to a room, and that's where Jesus appears. And so it seems that those, these three places are, are all one and the same. And so I believe God is trying to narrow in exactly the focus 
and, and where they were at. And so, so that's the place. That's where they were meeting. But we see that, that he actually tells us more. He tells us who the players are. Look at with me in, in the middle of 13. That is Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. So we see that there's the players, the 11 apostles are the first ones mentioned. And I think we're pretty familiar with, with most of them, right? Especially the first three. You notice the first three mentioned are Peter, James, and John. This, this is actually different from how Luke presents this in his gospel in Luke chapter 6. He actually puts Andrew in like the second slot. And, and John is, is, is further down, down the line. And instead, he reorders them here. Why? Because these three, Peter, John, and James, they're in a place of prominence, and we're going to see them throughout the book of Acts. Whereas Andrew, not so much. And also something that's different about what we see here in in, in Acts 1, as opposed to, to Luke 6, is there's a name missing, right? That's why we have 11 instead of 12. Judas Iscariot is, is not in the list. But I thought it would be profitable for me to, to, to kind of go through each one of these men real quickly and just give you a, a quick perspective. We know who Peter is. He's the rock. He's the one that we're going to see over and over again in these first 12 chapters. And actually it goes further than that. He's the main preacher. He's the one preaching all the sermons. He becomes the apostle to the Jews. The next one is, is James. And James and, and, and John are, are, are the brothers of, of Zebedee. We know that, that they're pillars. And yet James is executed by Herod Agrippa quite early on. And John is his, is his brother. And then we see Andrew. He's actually the, the brother of Peter. And so what we see in the, the first four are two sets of brothers. And then we go on to, to Andrew. And he's from Bezda. And actually the, the Gospel of John kind of puts him in a, in, in a state of, of prominence a bit because he's the first one that, that is called by, by Jesus is presented in, in, in the, the Gospel of John. And, and Philip is... is the fifth after after the brothers. And then we have Thomas. He's one of the twelve, and he became known for his doubting. We have Bartholomew. We, we hardly know anything about Bartholomew. And then we have Matthew. And, and what is he? He's, he's the tax collector who writes the Gospel of Matthew. James, the son of Alphaeus. There's basically four James written about in Scripture. And most would say this is James the less. There's the James that was already mentioned, whose brother is John. Then there's James the father of Judas, who's known not to be the Judas Iscariot, 
And then there's James, the Lord's half-brother, which he isn't considered an apostle, so it can't be that James. So it, it must be James the less, but we don't really know anything about him either. And then there's Simon the Zealot, and what we know about him is that he's a zealot, which means that he was a loyalist, he was enthusiast, and, and he was committed to a certain cause. And finally, Judas, the son of James, which is not Judas Iscariot. Why are these names important? Why are these people important? Because they become the foundation, the foundation of the church. But we also notice that this isn't just the players. It's not just these 11. Because in in 14, we're, we're given a little bit more information. So look at with me at verse 14. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with, and this is where we see the other players, along with the women. It's kind of simple. <laughs> Who are the women? That's all that's said about them. The women. And, and most people agree that, that the women has to be women that, that accompanied Jesus, traveled with him, from Galilee and that they were eyewitnesses of his of his crucifixion. And these would be such women that, that we know about from, from the Gospels. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary and Martha, and Mary the, the mother of James. But then look at the next one. And Mary the mother of Jesus. No doubt that Jesus' mother Mary was traveling with John, right? Because on the cross, Jesus told John, hey, you need to look after my mother. And so she no doubt was traveling along with all of them. And so she's here in this group. But notice some things that it doesn't say. It doesn't say that they, that they were worshiping Mary. It doesn't say that they were praying to Mary. She's included as part of the group of worshipers. And and at times people have got this all mixed up and turned upside down, right? When I was in high school, we went to Mexico on a on a short little missions trip, and we we went to a, a place in man the middle of nowhere in Mexico. And we were ministering, doing vacation Bible school, and we were going out inviting people, little kids, to come. And we stumbled upon uh, like a, a shrine, a temple. And there were actually people, people there sacrificing chickens to Mary in this thing called the Santa Maria religion. When we were in Papua New Guinea, we, we had a, a pretty strong Catholic influence over the mountain from us. And there that they began teaching and then propagating this teaching and taking it all around to different other locations that, that Mary was, was on par with Christ and that she actually was the, you know, the co-redemptive person, redemptress is what they were calling it, and that she actually needed to be prayed to, that she was involved in, in, in the purchasing of our salvation as much as Christ. And these guys came into our village and, and they were teaching this. And, and praise the Lord, 
the guys actually took these men back to, well, starting off here in the book of Acts, and said, look, Mary isn't God. Mary's important. She's the mother of Jesus, but she's not God. She's not one to be worshipped. And they were able to set these guys straight to such an extent that they actually came and, and asked me if I would leave that particular location and come to their place and teach them God's word because they were confused. And there were things that were taught them that they didn't understand. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, obviously is important. But she's not as important as some would say and she's actually never mentioned again. Throughout the book of Acts. Or, yeah. Then who are the other guys mentioned? Look at what he, he ends with. So we have the eleven, we have the women, and we have Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. If, if you remember back in, in John chapter 7, early on in Jesus' ministry, do you remember what his brother's perspective was on Jesus? They're like, hey, stop doing this. We know you. And they didn't trust him. Not trusting him as Savior at all. And, and yet now they're, they're praying and they're devoting themselves and they're doing all these things. What? What happened? God's word doesn't actually tell us when these guys got saved. You, you get a little perspective in 1 Corinthians 15 when it talks about Jesus' half-brother James because he was an eyewitness of Jesus being resurrected. And it seems that that event allowed James to place his, his confidence and trust in Christ. And how the rest of the brothers believed, we don't know. All I can assume is that, that James was a major testimony and a part in helping the Lord save the other brothers. And we know why he's called, they're all called half-brothers of Jesus, right? I think sometimes this gets confusing. Well, well it's because Joseph wasn't really Jesus' dad, Right? I mean, he adopted him, but the Holy Spirit was, yeah. And so, in, in, in the reality, they were his half-brothers. So, those are the players. All of them were involved. But let's see what they were doing. What was the purpose behind their meeting? And what can we glean from these things? Because, man, this is very, very challenging. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. These, along with the ones that, that we just saw, they were gathering together and, and, and they were about one thing. Their purpose. Fellowship. First and foremost, they wanted to gather with one another. They, they weren't an island unto themselves. This word one mind, it, it's actually a compound word in the Greek. And, and, and on the one hand, it's, it's, it's one together, or being one, 
being together at the same time, at the same place. And then it's got this weird nuance of this other word of, of, of passion, fierceness. And, and I believe that's, that's where we kind of get this idea of fellowship from. That they were of one mind, they had one thinking, that they wanted to be in the same place, but they were also passionate about why they were coming together. And they were sold out for, for what? For the, for the purpose of waiting to see what, what was going to happen and to do exactly what God told them to do, what Christ had told them to do. And this is a really important aspect for us as a church, right? This is why we gather, that we might be one. And, and, and we've already been able to enjoy part of that in communion. It's not something that we do outside of a church context. It's something that we do as a, as a body. But it doesn't mean that that's all that we do is fellowship with one another as these guys just didn't gather for no particular reason, but they were waiting for something. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit and this coming. And so what we see is they were all together with one mind and they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. It has the idea that this was a non-stop thing that they were doing continually devoting themselves to prayer and, and the idea is a specific prayer. And, and I'm sure what that prayer entailed was, man, bring the Holy Spirit to us. Because they didn't know exactly when this was going to happen. They were just told that this was going to happen. And so not only was it fellowship that was important, but prayer but why pray? Why should they pray? Because they were in a holding pattern, a waiting pattern. And as we're going to see from here on out, do you know what the main characteristic was of this church? Of all these churches that are going to be established? The thing that you see over and over and over and over again is prayer. Because they recognized that they needed to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And that is something that we need to be dependent upon. Wouldn't that be awesome if that became the characteristic of RBC? That we became known as a praying church. Notice also that this prayer, what this prayer wasn't going to do. It wasn't going to be the thing that brought the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Huh? Really? No? Why? Remember what Jesus said in verse 5 in Acts 1 that we looked at now a couple weeks ago. There's what we say in grammar. There's no conditional clauses on what Jesus says about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He says, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not when you pray for the Holy Spirit to come. Not if you pray for the Holy Spirit to come, but this is going to happen. The Holy Spirit's coming whether they're praying or not, but that doesn't mean that they're, that what they're doing isn't good, that this isn't what they should be doing, this is what they should be doing. 
But don't get the cart in front of the horse and think that now in order for the Holy Spirit to come, we need to pray. Because the Holy Spirit comes as what? As a result of God's sovereign purpose. As a result of God's sovereign plan. And whenever a believer is saved, the Holy Spirit comes. And this baptism of the Holy Spirit is not something we need to pray for. Not now. Like I said last week, walking with the Holy Spirit, submitting yourself to Him, yes. Being controlled by the Holy Spirit, being filled by the Holy Spirit, yes, those are things that we as believers are commanded. But the reason why these guys were praying and why the Holy Spirit hadn't come was because they're in a, in a, in a different time. They're in this transitional period. Remember, up to this point, the Holy Spirit would come upon someone and then leave. So it's not conditional upon them praying. But of course, God does answer their prayer after 10 days of them praying. But I don't want you guys to get the impression I don't think praying is important. <laughs> of course it's important. And, and I think that this would be a, a good time for, for us to consider an, an acronym that lots of people have used uh, as a, from a basis of ACTS for helping us learn to pray. And if you've never heard this before, then this will be good for you to put in your notes. It's an acronym for praying based upon the four letters of the book that we are studying. A for adoration, C for confession, T for thanksgiving, S for supplication. Acts. Adoration, that's praising God for who He is. For how wonderful and gracious He is. No doubt that that's what these guys were praying for, right? Praying about. Because they had seen Jesus do so many miraculous things and they had seen Jesus do the unbelievable. But they had also seen that He is God that he could overcome death. See for confession, why do we need to confess? Because, because we still sin. And we need to confess our sins. And, and we need to be brought back into fellowship. And that actually comes into communion as well, as, as we already looked at this morning. T for thanksgiving. Thanking God, this is more for what he's done. So adoration is for who he is, Thanksgiving is for what He's done. And finally, S for supplication. And, and you could look at that as asking God for, for strength. For strength in order to walk the, this road that the Lord has for us and honoring Him. Okay. What do you do with this? Things to think about. Well, I knew that something wouldn't work. (laughs) Okay, you can write these down. Things I want you to consider this week. Consider fellowship this week. 
I mean, really seriously consider fellowship. Consider how important it is. Consider how you might get more involved in fellowship with other believers here at at RBC. For those of you that are in college, you need to consider fellowship for for you. (laughs) That you would not be an island unto yourself. So get involved in athletes in action or Campus Crusade or Navigators or or something like that, right? But here, for, for us as a body, how can you get more involved? How can you be fellowshipping? Well, look at that. It's amazing. Consider fellowship this week. Hey, okay. Put into practice the acronym of ACTS. Maybe the Lord will allow you to follow this pattern and transform your prayer life. To remind you to pray more. To adore Him for who He is. To be quick to confess your sins. To thank Him for all that He's done. And to to bring supplication that you would ask Him to empower you to walk before Him in a way that honors Him. Let me close our time in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the example that before Your Holy Spirit has even come, that before the church is established and that it's just the 11 apostles, the women, the mother of you, Lord Jesus, and your brothers, that they were committed to walking in obedience to you, that they were committed to fellowshipping one with another, of being one mind and to coming to You in prayer continually. Lord, we pray that You would allow RBC to be a church like that, to be a body like that, that You would allow us to have one mind that seeks to honor You above all, that we would be committed to prayer, that we would be a praying church, and that we would be a, a body that fellowships with one another in order to exalt you and to bring you glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. And here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.